Welcome to Bookends, a virtual book club brought to you by The Team Approach. This program is designed so you can listen to conversations with featured authors and then dialogue with them in a discussion group on LinkedIn. This year on Bookends, we are featuring books that can transform, and today we will visit with Marilee Adams, who has written Change Your Questions, Change Your Life. 10 Powerful Tools for Life and Work. To obtain a copy of today's feature book, you can visit Marilee's website, which is www.inquiryinstitute.com. You can access today's recording and all of our Bookends programs at bookendsbookclub.net. Here you can visit our resource blog containing free chapters and other resources provided by our authors featured on this program. Following our interview today, you are also invited to log in to LinkedIn. Search groups and join the group called Bookends the Discussion. In this LinkedIn group, you can pose questions and discuss issues with your peers. You can dialogue with our Bookends featured authors who are members of this group. Invite your friends to join the group and listen and discuss with you. I am Susan Stamm, and I would like to introduce Marilee Adams. Dr. Marilee Adams is the founder and president of Inquiry Institute and the originator of question thinking. As a thought leader, consultant, executive coach, facilitator, and professional speaker for some of the world's leading companies, Marilee is often referred to as the chief question officer. Her work sets the standard for transforming the spirit of inquiry into practical, purposeful and powerful user-friendly questioning skills and tools which are taught throughout the world. In her consulting practice, Marilee has witnessed the transformative power of question thinking in Fortune 100 companies such as Lockheed Martin, Johnson & Johnson, Siemens, and DHL, and within nonprofits such as ASTD, Girl Scouts of America, and the Brookings Institution. Before turning her attention to the world of business and organizational effectiveness, Marilee was a psycho therapist for more than 25 years. Her first book, The Art of Question, A Guide to Short-Term Question-Centered Therapy, was lauded as a seminal and breakthrough to the world of psychotherapy. The question thinking work at the core of the story in Change Your Questions is based on proven principles and research described in that book about how people feel, think, behave, and change. Mary Lee earned her Ph.D. in clinical psychology from the Fielding Graduate Institute, her master's degree in social work from Virginia Commonwealth University, and is adjunct faculty for the American University School of Public Affairs Teaching Leadership. And she lectures at Columbia University's Teacher College in Global Learning and Leadership Program. Mary Lee and her husband and artist, Ed Adams, live in the Rivertown and Arts Community of Lambertville, New Jersey. She welcomes your correspondence. Feel free to email Marilee at choice at inquiryinstitute.com. Marilee Adams, welcome to Bookends. And it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Marilee, I uh, just have to tell you before we jump into this uh, how much your book has meant to me. I've insisted that my three children read your book. And I found as I read it that while the book wasn't necessarily uh, providing, you know, brand new information in every instance, uh, information that I hadn't been exposed to. It was, it was how you framed it. It was so simple and clear and powerful. And uh, I just found it uh, to be extremely helpful, even to share with my young adult children and, and teenage children. 
I'm I'm glad to hear that. So so uh, I'd like to I'd like to begin with with the title of the book your your uh that you've uh, you've titled the book in a way that I think just really grabs people it's it's rather provocative change your questions change your life what exactly do you mean by this Well the interesting thing about that title is that it is literally true that by changing the questions that you ask and that by that I mean the questions we ask ourselves as well as the questions we ask others, that we, at that moment, alter the direction of thinking and how people can relate and um, what kinds of outcomes there are. So let me, let me give you an example. Mm-hmm. So if somebody is thinking, and by question thinking, by the way, I mean that our thinking is based on the questions that we ask ourselves. So if someone is asking themselves a question as seemingly simple as what's wrong with me and why can't I do whatever, that question is going to lead them in a particular direction that may and probably do not, will not get them anything productive or positive in the future depending on how they're asking it, if they change that question to something like, what, what's working about what I'm doing now? How can I build on it? And what do I really want to have happen? That simple change of question redirects attention and energy and actually leads to very different outcomes. And it's literally as simple as shifting from the past-oriented negative question to the future-oriented, more positively, positivity or possibility-based question. It's true. It, it really does work. I've been practicing the tools and suggestions uh, from the book since I've read it, and, and that was why I, I felt that it had to be required reading for my family. Um, it, it, it's a powerful shift, and I'm looking forward to getting more into that with you. Uh, before we do that, as I was reading uh, in the introduction of your of the second edition of your book, I was uh, noticing that the book is gaining traction in lots of different you know industries and kinds of organizations, big and small companies, government, healthcare, even in education. And and then I noticed that people were really drawn towards the book because of you know a variety of kinds of applications. Uh, people were using it for leadership, coaching, team effectiveness. That's an area that I'm particularly interested in uh, for our work. Uh, Communication and and even relationships. Why would you say the book has such broad appeal and and people are finding it useful in so many different kinds of applications? Well, that's a kind of a layered question with a layered answer. I think the basic uh, core of it is that the question thinking piece And so if there's a way, a practical way to alter thinking, then that can be applied anywhere. So if you're able to think more effectively in some of the applications you just described, leadership or coaching or education, then the way that you apply it um, can be very broad-based. And it's actually been pretty fascinating to me and at first kind of surprising, Susan, because I've been getting 
requests from people all over the world and in all those different venues that you were just describing. Mm-hmm. And so I actually was wondering myself, you know, what was it that, that had so many people respond so positively? And one thing is I kept coming back to is the theory works. Yeah. So the theory that all of this is based on, uh, which you described as starting in the textbook, and now it's in a more um, simple format and change your questions, but it's really accurate. And also I think that people have tried it for themselves, and they've discovered that um, they've been able to make shifts that they hadn't been able to make in other ways. So in healthcare. For example, I've just written a, a, an article with a colleague on the application of this work in, um, in a critical care nursing journal. I've just done some work with a, a state system in education, applying this not only to students but also to teachers and principals and coaches of the, you know, their, their coaches. I've taught the material to a lot of coaches, including many coaching schools. As you mentioned, I do this work with leadership uh, training at American University. I've worked with a lot of teams, and the same core work is in the middle of all of it, which is you really can't be successful without asking lots of good questions and asking them from a particular mindset. So there is a coherence to the theory and then a broad range of applications that comes from that. Yeah, I would agree. Absolutely. At at the end of of that introduction, uh, on page 7 in your book, you write, this is your, your quote here, you say, a world of questions is a world of possibility. Mm-hmm. Could you speak about that just a little bit before we jump into the book? Absolutely. If you imagine that people are, and this is kind of generalizable, but that at any moment we are coming either from a, a mindset that's more based in questions and curiosity or a mindset that's based on statements and opinions the, and answers. Answers tend to close possibility, and mm-hmm. sometimes that's a very good thing. I mean, of course, answers are important. Questions tend to open up possibility. So if you're particularly open-ended questions and particularly uh, questions that are very expansive, So if we're wanting to be future-oriented and have the future be not just a repetition of the past, but something that could even be transformational to where we're going, then new questions really have to light the way. And it's new questions that open possibility because they focus us in that direction in a very uh, creative and wide-ranging way. Yeah, I would agree. And just the whole idea, the whole premise of a question is that, you know, there's more there, more to explore. It kind of draws you into the into the possibilities, whereas once once it's been answered, that's it. <laughs> you, mm-hmm. you've, hit, you've hit the wall. And sometimes, you, but you know, you do need answers. Mm-hmm. Just, mm-hmm. The, the whole thing is, I mean, this is kind of a funny question, but can you get the best answers without the best questions? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. 
good, good. Your your book is 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 written in a wonderful story kind of format, and and you have this main character in the story. His name is Ben. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if if you could tell us a little bit about Ben, a little background on him, and how he came to work at this organization that's called QTech, and what were the and the qualifications? What was he? You know, what what was it that brought uh, Ben and his his um, his skills and experience to to this particular new job? Ben, like many people in many organizations and agencies, has excelled in a kind of technical um, domain, and he's really led his old company to some very important successes. In the new company, he's been he's been invited to join the new company building on his skills, but asking him to do something very different, which is to take a beginning leadership position and to work with a team. Well, of course, the technical skills are really important, but they're a different skill set than leadership and um, leading teams. And so while he's known a lot of – he's been very answer-oriented in his first profession – the extension of this where he really needs to he needs to be more question oriented and that really fits the, the the picture of 21st century leadership of using questions to lead with as, as well as answers so he's very well equipped in his old world not well equipped skill wise in his new world yeah I think that's a, a powerful thing that you've just said there that, you know, the whole framework of approaching leadership in the 21st century is to come at it with lots of questions and, you know, to, to bring that kind of approach to it. I, I like how you just framed that. You know, Ben, we have Ben, he, you know, he arrives on the new job and you know, he's not really there for too terribly long when he, um, actually reaches a point that he's he's going to quit he's going to resign he's got his resignation letter and you know that he's preparing what 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 brings him to to that place and so quickly well he came with a lot of confidence of course the ceo who hired him alexa knows that he has this technical background and but she's betting that he'll learn the leadership skills mm-hmm. and of course He's still kind of stuck in the past of getting his pride from being the answer man, and he doesn't understand that that position itself is what's getting him in trouble. So he's he started with great confidence and uh, working with this team, and he thought the way to lead the team was basically to tell them what to do or give them his answers and tell them to go ahead and do it. And, of course, that doesn't work with his team. And, as a matter of fact, that same mindset of being uh, certain that you know everything you need to know also doesn't work all that well in his marriage. Mm -hmm. So he's having some parallel issues and at the beginning doesn't know that they have anything to do with each other. 
Yeah, it's fun to watch. Well, he, he, he prepares this resignation. He goes to see his boss. You mentioned his boss just a moment ago. Her name is Alexa. And she decides not to accept his resignation and, um, you know, tells him that she wants him to work with a colleague, uh, a prof- another professional outside of the organization that has had a, a fairly significant impact on her and, and her um, uh, life and, and work. And this person's name is Joseph. And I was wondering if you could kind of set the stage a little bit um, and read a very brief passage from the book um, that that comes from the very first visit uh, where uh, um, Ben is um, meeting with Joseph. And, and this begins at the top of page 23. It starts with the words, tell me, and then it ends midway down page 24. Uh, could, you, uh, could you read this passage for us? Absolutely. And keep in mind that Joseph is an executive in leadership coach, mm-hmm. and that's the context in which Alexa sent Ben to, to see Joseph. Good. So after they've had their getting-to-know-you conversation, Joseph says, well, tell me, what do you suppose is your greatest asset? Well, I'm the answer man, the go-to guy, I told him with pride. I've built my whole career around being the person people go to for answers. The bottom line for me is answers. That's what business is all about. True. But how can you get the best answers without the best questions? Joseph paused, placing his glasses on his nose and peering over the top of them at me, and asked, is there a single question you would say characterizes the way you operate? Sure, I said. Get the right answers and be ready to back them up. That's my motto. (laughs) Joseph asked me to restate that as a question one I would ask myself. I couldn't see the point, but I did as he asked. Okay, sure. The question I operate with is, how can I prove I'm right? Well, that's great, Joseph said. We might have your problem nailed already. (laughs) My problem? Being the answer man, having to prove you're right, Joseph said. I must say, Ben, we're getting down to business faster than I expected. I wasn't sure I'd heard him correctly. Was he kidding? No, he was dead serious. I beg your pardon? Joseph responded, Finding proof that our answers are correct can be important, he said. But would you allow that there are times when too much of a good thing can get you in trouble? For example, how do you think you're having to be right all the time goes over with your team? I'm not sure what you mean, I said, and I really meant it. I wanted my team to find answers, the correct answers. So I said, everyone's looking for answers. That's what we all got paid to do, wasn't it? Joseph said, let me get personal for a moment. Do your efforts to prove you're right work with your wife? (laughs) That one hit home. Not really, I admitted reluctantly. Grace had told me how my habit of insisting on being right often frustrated her. I think this this really kind of starts to paint the picture of this this whole idea of Ben and his need to be you know the the person with the answers the answer guy as you refer to him in in the book 
And, you know, there are so many of us that are guilty of this. Um, yet, if, if we stop and consider how much more freedom we could have if we would let go of this role that we've generally taken on ourselves, what drives us to become answer guys, Marilee? Why do we do that to ourselves? Well, let's step back a minute, Susan, because I really want to emphasize something. Um, ben honestly wants to succeed. He honestly mm-hmm. thinks he's doing the right thing. He really doesn't understand that the way he's operating is what's getting him in trouble. And I mm-hmm. think that's true of most of us. I don't think that we live in this kind of answer world versus a question world because we get up in the morning and say, it's time to come up with answers. I think mm-hmm. we're just doing what we've been taught and what we've seen and don't know that there's a better way to go about things. And that better way to go about things is what the book is all about. And at the same time, it really helps to understand that we've been blocking ourselves, even though it wasn't on purpose, even though it wasn't intentional, Mm -hmm. that we've been getting in our own way from the way we've been operating. The really good news about that is that when we can identify that by starting to ask the question, how, how, I mean, honestly ask the question, how have I contributed to this or that issue, and really start looking. If we can see how we're contributing to an issue, it kind of liberates us to think about how we can contribute to the solutions. And so Change Your Questions points to a whole array of ways to think and solutions to operate with that just simply aren't visible from the way people typically operate. And it's, uh, that's, I, I know the transformation, that, world, that word is really important to you, and I think that's really important in, in the basis of this is change in a way. The word change is sort of, you start at point A and then you go through B, C, et cetera. It's kind of um, linear. The sense of transformational is kind of discontinuous. It was one way, now it's another way. It's one way to live based on the importance of answers. It's another way based on the importance and the skills of asking questions. And I think that's really very core. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, questions are are a powerful, and um, they point us in a particular direction. Depending on on how we use them, uh, they take us in a in a particular direction, and that's a key point, of course, of the book. But so, yeah, before, let me add one thing here: when we yeah. go to school, we don't learn that. If people learn anything about questions, what they learn is the five W's: who, what, when, you know, that kind of information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But really. What we need to be taught is the power of thinking with questions because that's what's going to help us expand, create and expand critical thinking skills, problem-solving skills, decision-making skills. We're taught in school sometimes the opposite, that it's only the answer that's important. So true. And so true. We don't get taught that the answer is the end point of a process that begins with questions, and so really questions are where it's, you know, really what's important. I I think it's very atypical to teach that, and 
that's certainly something that I would like to see change. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think that, that you're also, um, in what you've just shared, are indicating why people, more so many people become answer people, because that is how we're taught. Uh, it does come from the traditional educational model, at least in this country, and I'm sure probably others as well. And it gets extended to the workplace. Mm-hmm. And then technology speeds it all up. So, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. we're, we're told um, we need the answer, we need it now, um, and it doesn't provide any kind of encouragement to think or reflect or come back with with answers that are wider and deeper yeah. than what might have might have been asked. Absolutely. So true. So very true. So so to illustrate the power of questions, and that's what we're talking about here, you you share what you call a question shift. And you talk about this on, on page 26 in the book. And, and just as an illustration of, of a question shift, you actually share an example that actually changed the course of civilization. I just love this. Could you tell us about this particular example? Well, uh, I will uh, with some kind of funny caveats because the the example is about when human beings were nomads. Of course, I haven't interviewed any of them. And also, this this um, idea of nomads is not one that I came up with originally. It was one that was someone else came up with. Um, but think of it this way. And, and the point that I'm making here is that we answer questions not just with language. We also answer questions with behavior, mm. which makes it much more um, powerful. So when we human beings were nomads... I think we were driven by the implicit question, how do we get ourselves to water? Yeah. And that question, how do we get ourselves to water, would lead to all kinds of predictable behaviors. And we know that it worked because we're not extinct. Sure. (laughs) So... That's, so that would be the beginning question. How do we get ourselves to water? And that would drive particular behaviors. I believe that a new question took root implicitly, and that mm-hmm. doesn't mean all at one moment. But I believe that when we, as nomadic human beings, began to ask this implicit question, how do we get ourselves to water that everything shifted? Yeah. Because the behaviors that would naturally follow this question, how do we get ourselves to water, are distinctly different than how do we get... um, Oh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. How do we get ourselves to water is the old question, the new question is how do we get water to come to, to us. us. Right. And answers to that question would be distinctly different from how do we get ourselves to water. And in fact, how do we get water to come to us would be the kind of question that would lead to answers like irrigation. Right. And moving the water. Mm-hmm. So that question would lead to the ability to have... Um, what we now call cities, but mm-hmm. to have 
would lead to agriculture, would lead to the ability to settle in areas that were not next to bodies of water. Las Vegas would never have occurred <laughs> without that question. And so it, it's a, I think of that as a very high-level paradigm-shifting question. Yeah, yeah, really, really is And that's powerful. transformational because the, it, when I said discontinuous, it's how do we get water to come, how do we get ourselves to water is, not, is very different from how do we get water to come to us. It's a discontinuous answer, and with reference, Susan, to what you asked before about how questions open possibility, mm-hmm. how do we get water to come to us is certainly a possibility-opening question. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can feel the power in that question. You, just, you, you talk about the shift, and you can feel it when you just you know, hear, when I just sit here and listen to you saying those two different sets of words. You know, the one question has all kinds of power and energy uh, within it because it's very provocative. It's very thought-provoking, and you, you, know, you want to play with it, and you want to you jump in, and, and um, it creates a lot of energy. In, in the book, you, um, you talk about the fact that in order to change something, you need to know where you are starting from. And I think that's a powerful concept also. And you offer, um, well, actually, Joseph offers Ben in the story, he offers him a tool which is called a question map. And this is a wonderful tool, and actually, this is a tool that we are going to be posting on the resource blog on uh, bookendsbookclub.net, so people can uh, get a copy of this wonderful tool, the question map. So Joseph suggests that Ben can use this map to strengthen what he refers to as his observer self. Would you tell us about the map and why the observer self is such an important um, skill to learn? Absolutely. Um, what you're calling the question map, I'd like to call it, it's the choice map. Mm-hmm. And um, in the book, people can find it on page 38 and 39. And as you said, they can, but the book is black and white. They can go to your website and get it in color. Mm-hmm. Also can go to, to the Inquiry Institute website in color, download it, and also send it along to other people. There's no charge for it. One of the things that I... I, one of my personal goals in life is to have a choice map in um, in every office, on oh. every refrigerator, and in every classroom. <laughs> the refrigerator and, is a really good place. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. So what the choice map shows is um, it, it's not a map in the typical sense of the word, and it, it's also, it, it almost looks cartoony. And what it demonstrates or illustrates is that when something occurs to us, whether it's a thought or a feeling or some situation that impinges, at any moment that that occurs, there are two paths that we can take. And um, everybody has heard the expression, it's not what happens to you, it's what you do with it that makes Mm -hmm. a difference. So this is kind of an extension of that. And it illustrates that what we do with it falls in two broad categories, and it has to do with the mindsets that any one of us has. All of us have both a judger mindset and a learner mindset, or what I call a learner mindset and a judger mindset. And so we, everybody always has both, 
and the question is, which one is dominant, or which one do we choose moment by moment? So something occurs, we could take the judger path, and typically that path begins with a question like, whose fault is it? And it could be my fault or your fault. And then it, it goes on to ask more judgmental questions. What's wrong with me or what's wrong with that other person? And and then it kind of goes on from there, and pretty soon people end up in what I've called the judger pit, which um, is illustrated on the choice map. So that's one path to take. If you go back up to the beginning and say, okay, there's another path, I'm going to call that the learner path or the uh, which is part of the learner mindset, and it begins with a whole different set of questions, like what happened, what do I want, um, what are the facts, what am I responsible for, what's possible. And the reason these two paths are so distinct is because our internal questions are expressions of our mindsets, and our mindsets are expressions of our internal questions. And the judgmental questions typically take us into a place that can be very difficult. And in a kind of funny way, they aren't actually questions. They're statements with a question mark on the end. So whose fault is it is actually a statement. Somebody's at fault. Mm -hmm. And then attention gets focused in that direction. Or what's wrong with me? That's really a statement. There is something wrong with me. What is it? Yeah. So those judger kinds of questions really end up stopping the action and sometimes having people go backwards or get even more stuck without even realizing they're doing it. So I want to emphasize that. Good. And, and, and Go there's actually a, a, an example of this um, in the book where, where um, in, in introducing the, the map to Ben, Joseph immediately catches him using some negative self-questions. And he, Ben is assuming that Joseph's thinking the very worst of him. You know, he's imagining this in his, in his mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that you probably encounter this kind of thing in, in the work that you do in, in um, you know, both working with, with teams and, and leaders and so forth. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how we remedy this when we encounter this? Well, that's really the central method that question thinking um, builds on. So, if we, so first of all, if we can learn the distinctions between learner and judger, which we all have, and we all do this moment by moment, and then develop the ability to discern which of those questions we're asking ourselves moment by moment. So that takes us into the observer position because we're thinking about our thinking. Mm -hmm. So if I can simply observe my thinking, analyze it for effectiveness, which also means analyze it for is this thinking learner or judger, but not you can't do that judgmentally. It's simply observing it. Mm-hmm. But once you know that, then the next step is, uh, let's assume that, um, like what you were just saying with Ben and Joseph, Ben was assuming, a Joseph, he was assuming a, a judger attitude on, on um, Joseph's part, which actually wasn't there. So if uh, Ben could have said, 
oh, I see that I was in Judger right there, which he couldn't yet because he hadn't been taught the material. But if he could say, oh, was I in Judger? By asking, oh, you know, Judge, uh, Joseph is assuming that there's something wrong with the way I'm operating. If he could see that and then switch his own question, how could I... So once, so once you see the question, you discern it, then you analyze it for effectiveness. Is it learner or is it judger? Then the next step is, if it's not getting you the results you want, how can you rephrase the question mm-hmm. and rephrase it in a learner way? And then the next step is ask it the new question to yourself and or others. So it's mm-hmm. very simple discern the questions you're asking yourself, analyze them for or assess whether they're in learner or judger or whether they're getting you what you want. If they're not, then you're, you can easily move to what questions could help me get what I want. Then you ask those new questions, and the very asking of the new questions opens up possibilities. Yeah just as we were talking about before. Yeah, it certainly does. And kind of the, the flip side of that, and, and actually I, I see this quite a bit in the, in the workplace, Marilee, and I'm sure you, you encounter, encounter this as well, you know, where you have people that are in various levels of leadership roles and they're trying to support people, help people in their own learning, new, um, you know, uh, learn new skills or, um, you know, uh, do something more effectively, make something, a system work more effectively in the organization. So they're in the support role, but they end up moving into judger as they're trying to really help or support someone become more effective. Uh, and you see this happen a lot. Um, how do we help you know, ourselves if, we're in, if we find ourselves judging someone when we're trying to help someone or you know, if someone else is in that kind of role, how do they kind of get unstuck when they find themselves there? Well, you just asked about four different important questions. <laughs> Let's start, we start with the end. The, the central skill is being able to keep oneself in learner. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it's not, it, it, that's not a very easy thing to do. So the... Uh, let me go back to the choice map for a moment. It shows the learner path and the judger path, and it also shows something called the switching lane. So the switching lane is what you take once you've discovered that you're in judger. So if you could ask, am I in judger, which would be an observer question, and the mm-hmm. answer is yes, and then you say, well, is this going to get me what I want or how else can I think about it? Then you're asking switching questions that can literally take you straight up to the learner path. So the central skill is noticing judger non-judgmentally and then having the tools to switch. Yeah. So that's, that is really the fundamental, fundamental piece here. Mm-hmm. So whether you are leading or coaching or running a team, they're all in the arena of coaching skills. And coaching skills require asking questions that can help people discover their own best answers, their own best thinking. And so now we're in the arena of helping people develop, which is one of the things that leaders need to do and also one of the uh, capacities that you want to encourage that you can encourage through um, 
working with teams. In fact, Change Your Questions has a the, the new edition, the mm-hmm. one that came out last year, has a chapter called Learner Teams and Judger Teams. Mm-hmm. And it's they're very different. And it's so funny because you can just simply ask somebody, have you ever been on a judger team? <laughs> and even if they don't know the material, they always laugh like you just did. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. it's real simple. Well, have you been on a learner team? What are the differences? And then what are the skills that could help you have a learner team and collectively get yourselves back there when the team falls into judger, mm-hmm. which it will. So it's not a question of getting there and staying there. It's a question of understanding the distinctions and then having the tools to keep recovering yourself. And yeah. that's always the core um, the core skill. And what I tell people is <laughs> that in a way this is incredibly powerful and at the same time sort of annoying. Because you're always making adjustments. Because you're always accountable for your own mm-hmm. learner and yeah. making adjustments. Yeah. At the same time, nothing could be more powerful because it's from learner that we are more resourceful and mm-hmm. strategic and able to think broadly about what needs to happen and able to implement it and get into action. So true. On page 46, you offer readers what you call a million-dollar tip, not something we can all use today. Mm -hmm. Um, When two people are in judger, you say, the one who wakes up first has an advantage. Why do you call this a million-dollar tip, and how can we utilize this advice? Well, think about a conversation that could be anywhere. It could be between... Um, two people who are in relationship with each other, a personal relationship, or two people in a relationship who are communicating with each other at work. Um, And if the conversation seems to be taking a downward judger spiral, the one who can first say, oh, are we in judger or am I in judger? At the moment of doing that, they open the possibility of being a learner. But the other person is still captured in judger. Mm-hmm. So the one who can begin the climb into learner first has the ability to turn the interaction from a judger interaction into a learner interaction. It does not mean it happens right away, but it won't happen if one person doesn't wake up and start um, um, making the learner shift. Otherwise, you're just into blaming, finger-pointing, and frankly, the longer the judger goes on, the more emotional it typically gets and the louder and the more unproductive. So at the moment when somebody says, oh, are we in judger? Is this working? Mm -hmm. How else can we think about this? What can I do to shift the situation? Now there's accountability and the kinds of questions that get to be practical and quickly implementable. Yeah. And it's a million-dollar question because, or a million-dollar tip, because this is true all the time. So you can take it anywhere. 
Good, excellent. Just a little bit ago in a, in a previous um, answer, I heard you mm-hmm. say something that actually Joseph also says in the book, surprise, mm-hmm. surprise. <laughs> what yeah. Joseph, Joseph is surprising Ben, and actually he surprised me in the story too, when he says that this work is not about getting on the learner path and staying there. I heard you say that a few moments mm-hmm. ago too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was a little surprised by that a statement. Why does, uh, why does Ben say this, or um, what, Joseph, why does Joseph say this to Ben? What, what, is, what is that about? Because it's the truth for us as human beings. It's never going to be the case that anybody gets to learner and stays on learner mm-hmm. because we are human. And being human, things are going to upset us, things are going to trigger us, things are going to pull us off. However, let me make a distinction here between being on the learner path and saying you're always there, which is... Um, this is simply not possible. And having, once you see these distinctions, have a working commitment to learner, knowing that it's going to be a continuous recovery experience. <laughs> and I'll speak for myself personally here, and in the book I have Joseph speak this, which is I'm always working with this material. Mm-hmm. I, I I personally, I came up with this, these distinctions and this work 25 years ago. And you know what, Susan? I still work it every day. Yeah, yeah. The thing yeah. is that when you can really see the distinction between learner and judger, what it gives you is the first step of a method that has you be much more in charge of your own choices. Mm -hmm. And it's really the foundation for personal power in the very best sense. So nobody's going to get to learner and stay there. Mm -hmm. That's just not the case. You can develop a commitment to learner, Mm -hmm. which means that when judger jumps in, and I call this uh, sometimes like a, a judger hijack, Judger is much more prevalent in our lives and in our thinking than most people have any idea. Um, it's very subtle, and it's very prevalent. And um, what, there are different ways you can tell when you get upset, when you get, you as a generic you, get righteous, mm-hmm. get um, very, um, I'm right, they're wrong, that kind of um, attitude. Then um, Judger has hijacked the situation, and that becomes a signal to say, oh, once you recognize that, am I in Judger? Is this going to get the best result for the most people in the shortest time? The answer Mm -hmm. is typically no, no, no. And then you do that switch. So that switch of learner, switch, Judger takes place at the personal level, at the relationship level, at the team level, at the organizational level. Uh, it's, it's kind of fascinating, really, how it works at so many different levels in similar ways. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, uh, one place in the book where you saw that kind of judger hijack that you just referenced, um, Joseph tells a little story about um, switching questions, actually, and he's talking about his daughter and uh, the fact that she was in, into gymnastics and 
and was performing and, uh, you know, was discovering that, um, you know, she was kind of getting hijacked by her own internal judger. And it is a powerful illustration of switching questions, which you introduced just a little earlier. I was wondering if you could, you know, share this example or any others, uh, you know, that would help us really um, see how this whole process works. Yeah, I think his his daughter was trying out, she was um, a very good gymnast in high school, and she was trying out for a team for college. But she she was a very good player, uh, I'm sorry, gymnast, but also very inconsistent. And so when Joseph talked to her about it, they realized that the question she was asking herself over and over and over was something like, will I fail next time? So if you're on the high beam and you're asking yourself, will I fail, will I fail, mm-hmm. it's almost like you're programming yourself to fail. Yeah. So the switch and the new question, he encouraged her to think of a new, more positive um, question because the question that we ask ourselves is sort of like a, an operating system. It's the one that determines, um, it's a programming question about how you're going to think and behave and what kind of results. So her new question was, was something like, how can I do this, the best job in this moment, in this moment, in this moment, in this moment? Of course, those are very distinct questions. Yeah. So that's a good example of changing a question, change your life. In that particular example, she made the team, mm-hmm. and she also became a consistent gymnast. Yeah, just another example, I think, too, you know, of the just numerous applications of, uh, you know, the work that you have in this book, just an excellent example. You introduce a, a model, which, you know, it's another great tool in the book that provides a process for what you teach in a conscious way, and you call it the ABCC model. I love models. Um, can you explain this to us and, and maybe perhaps even provide a, an example um, of how you would use this? Well, as a matter of fact, we have been talking about it because mm-hmm. the ABCC model is the, the model for how to switch. Mm-hmm. So it begins with awareness. Oh, am I in judger? And that's also the observer self asking that question because it's really asking it neutrally. Like, am I in judger? Mm-hmm. It's not putting yourself down for it. It's, it's, it's like a research question. Am I in judger? That's awareness. Breathe stands for step back, change your state, which breathing is, helps you do, but it's also stepping back. So, again, that underscores the observer capacity. Then it says the, the first C stands for curious. So curiosity is really the fulcrum or the, the pivot point that helps us move from judger to learner. So when we get curious, we're, we're open and we're thinking broadly and we're physiologically even different than when we're judgmental. So you get curious and then the second C is for choose. Now you could, because you've gotten curious about new possibilities and new directions. So A for awareness, B for breathing and stepping back, C for get curious, and the second C for choose. 
That's great. Excellent. In, a little later in the story, Ben's now been working for Joseph for, for some time, and he's really starting to get this, and he's developing some good skills. And he sits down with a team member whose name is Charlo, Charles, and he mm-hmm. and Charles have really had some challenges since the, probably the first day that they met. And they, they end up in this meeting together, and they end up utilizing a tool that you, uh, you know, introduce us to, another good tool that you introduce us to in the book, Q-storming. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about what this is and, and how they use this to, um, to really get at the results they were, they were trying to achieve? Absolutely. Q-storming is a very powerful and very flexible process. In some ways, it's like brainstorming. Um, in that you're generating something. Uh, where, where it's different is that brainstorming, typically people are looking for answers, statements, ideas, and that's great, except it doesn't work all the time. And I think one of the reasons brainstorming doesn't work all the time is when people are looking for answers to the wrong questions. Mm-hmm. So Q-storming is a process that, ha- that helps people come up with the best questions. And then once they come up with a whole slew of questions, then they can step back and see which of those questions could possibly really take us in the directions that we need to be answering. So it's a three-part process, and there's a, a setup for it that includes b- getting clear about your goals getting clear about what assumptions uh, one has in relation to the goal and the situation, and also what the facts are. That would be the first phase. The second phase is the generating questions, and these questions are question-thinking questions. So it's not, what are you going to do? Or uh, It's more like, well, what am I going to do? So there, And the premise is based on this... this um, statement, a question not asked is a door not opened. And the doors that we're opening are in our minds. New questions are the key to opening those locked doors. And then when the door is open, all kinds of possibilities are on the other side. So the process helps you discover and create new questions. Because even if somebody really gets it about the importance of questions, that doesn't mean they know how to come up with them. Right, right. And and this is a process for learning how to do this. I've done hundreds of Q-storms. I made this up over 20 years ago. I've used it in groups of hundreds of people, in teams that are doing problem solving and decision making and strategic planning. I can use a version of it in in coaching. Mm-hmm. So I teach uh, also leaders and team leaders how to use it and also even ways to use it with oneself. So it's a very powerful process based on the premise that the questions we ask ourselves um, are very determining of what happens. And if we can ask ourselves better questions, then we're going to have better results. So it's a way to do that. 
That's great. It's wonderful. It's such a powerful tool, and I really appreciate your uh, sharing it with us in the book. And, and I really also appreciate, Marilee, your taking the time to share your work and, and your ideas with us today. It's um, It's been an important book in, in our family, and, and as I've mentioned, I've shared it with a, a number of um, colleagues um, who have found it to be just really clear and uh, on target, um, easy to, to pick up some really difficult concepts uh, to, you've put them in such a clear, concise way, and so we thank you for, for this book. And um, as a reminder to folks who are listening today, if you would like to get a copy of Marilee's book and continue learning more about her work, uh, we invite you to visit her website, which is www.inquiryinstitute.com. Before we close today, uh, Marilee, um, you've, you've you know, alluded to a number of the kinds of things that, that you do and can support organizations in this important work. Is there anything else that you would uh, want to add that you would want people to know about um, the work that you can that, that you can do and, and ways that you can support organizations out there? Well, I think the, certainly they can go to our website, um, but they can share the choice map. They can share these tools. There are uh, courses that are list, listed on the website. There will be in the future next year some e-learning courses based on this. Oh, great. Um, there are, the choice map is a, is available as a poster that's laminated, and it's funny stories. How that happened is be, that some hospitals use it, and they asked me to provide copies that were laminated so they could wipe them off. <laughs> <laughs> so there's also the top 12 questions for success that comes as a laminated poster, and mm-hmm. people put that in rooms where they're going to have meetings. Um, and there are many more things to come. There, there will be courses in conflict resolution for mediation. There's going to be work for teams. And I really love to have people join our learning community. By um, They can find out about that on the website and be part of how we unfold and elaborate and make really practical this work in many different applications. And I'd like people to to be left with a couple of thoughts. One is um, a question not asked is a door not open, like I said, Mm -hmm. that every question missed is a potential crisis waiting to happen, and that great results begin with great questions. Mm -hmm. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much, uh, Marilee. It's just really been great to to, uh, to visit with you today. And I wanted to remind folks that following this interview today that you are invited to join in this conversation on transformation by joining a group on LinkedIn called Bookends the Discussion. You can pose questions here for Mary Lee, um, and uh, you can have discussions with your colleagues and peers, and you will also find a link to the recording of today's interview with others that you can re-listen uh, or share with others. And we encourage you to invite your friends to join this group. So once again, we'd like to uh, thank you, Mary Lee Adams, for taking the time to visit with us today and share your excellent work around question thinking. Thanks so much. You're quite welcome. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.